millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. And this week we have another contribution to our great iconic ships series. If you haven't heard our previous episodes, do please go back and check them out. We have contributions so far on the Mary Rose from one of the leading team members who excavated her on the Mayflower from a scholar of 17th century America, on HMS Hood from Professor Eric Grove, recorded just days before he sadly died. Today, one of my favourite of all ships, the Cutty Sark, not least because it was owned and built by a Willis. I have no idea if I am related to the famous White Hat Willis, but we have the same surname and I do indeed have a White Hat, so odds on we are related. If you are not familiar with our Iconic Ship series, the idea is that the curator or team of curators of a historic ship make the case for their ship being iconic, or a historian makes the case for a ship that is no longer with us, deserving the status of iconic ship. And later in the year, we will hold a vote to see who has won for that year. So without further ado, here are some of the wonderful team of that famous tea clipper, the Cutty Sark, built and owned by one of my relatives. I think you might be able to guess where my vote is going to go. Hello, my name is Louise McFarlane and I've been curator of Cutty Sark since May 2016. When asked to consider whether and why Cutty Sark is an iconic ship, I thought I would start at the very beginning by looking at the definition of icon. There are slight variations in the definition depending on where you look, but all share the sense that an icon is representative or a symbol of something and worthy of veneration. Is Katisark representative, a symbol and worthy of veneration? I would say an emphatic yes, but explaining why warrants a little unpicking. Fundamentally, Katisark is an iconic ship, perhaps one of the most iconic ships in the world, because it is a survivor. It is the sole surviving tea clipper ship in the world. It wasn't the first or the biggest, it wasn't the fastest or most successful, it wasn't even its owner's favourite, but it is the last one left. And it is because of its survival that it has become both representative and symbolic of things not necessarily originally intended or imagined. It has become a sort of palimpsest, a thing to which we attach other meanings. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, is that not the very essence of an icon? 
But crucially, the ship's survivor wasn't simply down to just chance and good luck, though there can be no denying that the ship seemed to be a lucky one. It was because it had forged a reputation that people cared about, that they could invest in. And it is this which ensured its survival on three main occasions, in 1922, 1954 and again in 2007. So how did Cutty Sark establish this reputation which would ensure its longevity? Firstly, its design. Does an icon have to be beautiful? Probably not, but there can be little doubt that Cutty Sark's elegance and grace plays a fundamental role in its reputation. There is romance there, a sense of beauty and function coming together to create something lasting and special. The ship's first captain, George Mudie, said of Cutty Sark, I never sailed a finer ship. At 10 or 12 knots, she did not disturb the water at all. Although a very sharp ship, just like a yacht, her spread of canvas was enormous. She was the fastest ship of her day, a grand ship, a ship that will last forever. Clipper ships themselves were pioneered by the Americans in the early 19th century. These small, fast and agile ships, able to zip along at a clip, put an emphasis upon speed rather than cargo space. The gold rushes in California and then Australia in the middle of the 19th century meant that orders for vessels flooded the American market. Spurred by the need to obtain even a slight advantage in speed, American designers were bold and inventive, developing clippers which seemed to turn ship design on its head. In contrast, Britain was at risk of stagnation. The Navigation Acts restricted British trade to British ships, Strict laws were imposed upon ship tonnage and the East India Company's monopoly on trade in the East did little to encourage innovation. The company's East Indiamen ships remained large and slow, mostly unchanged and unchallenged for two centuries. In 1834, however, the East India Company's monopoly finally came to an end. Trade in the East was now open to all. In 1849, the Navigation Acts were also repealed. And so it was that in 1850, the American clipper Oriental sailed into London with a cargo of tea, causing a sensation. It was the first foreign ship to do so, and having completed an impressive passage of just 91 days from Hong Kong, British ship owners had been set a challenge. The first British clipper ship Stornoway was built in Aberdeen later that year. By 1861, a premium of 10 shillings for each tonne of tea began to be rewarded for the first ship of the year to land its cargo in London. Even though it's a dry product, the premium established the fashion for drinking the first tea delivered by the fastest ship. The tea race of 1866 was so close and so intense that the premium ceased soon after, but the spirit of speed and competition continued to flourish. My name is Simon Thompson. I'm the shipkeeping manager at Cutty Sark. I think primarily Cutty Sark is iconic for the simple fact that she is still here. She is a true survivor, whether that be by the good fortune, the manner in which she was looked after during her active life, or by the passion of the people who rescued her from the breaker's yard. She is the last example of a ship that is truly evocative of the beauty, grace, speed and power that is brought to mind when people think of the square-rigged sailing ship. If you want an iconic totem of the British, one thing that usually springs to mind is a cup of tea. The fact that Cutty Sark was built to serve this trade in tea from China has helped to anchor her to the nation's psyche. The fact that she was on the way to becoming obsolete even at the point of launch gives us a chance to consider not only the wider history but technological advancements of the day. The romance and grace of these fine tea clippers, racing each other in hotly contested voyages back to port with the premium tea harvests, was to be replaced by the plodding, dirty mundanity of steamships. 
square-rigged cargo ships obviously carried on plying their trade for years to come, but the writing was on the wall. The days of the sailing ship were numbered. For me, the ship fulfills many roles and provides gateways for further interest. This is something that maritime history as a whole does, but I feel can be summed up in one beautiful object like Cutty Sark. She is a great example of the Victorian ability to marry form and function, but there is something more than that. There is something of interest for everyone. You could be interested in the design and lines of the ship, the technology and engineering involved in her construction, the social history of the men who sailed her, the biology and chemistry of the materials used, the physics and hydrodynamics of how these ships gain their great speed, the wider socio-economic structure that the ship was surrounded by, and that is before you even get into the poetic, artistic and romantic aspect that ships like Cutty Sark fulfil. The desire for people to explore and cross the horizon, to experience the new. I am fortunate that my job allows me the opportunity to walk the ship's decks on a daily basis, and over the years I've got to know every inch of her. Providing the care and maintenance for a ship like Cutty Sark is at times quite a challenge, but being in a position to implement these works, as well as larger projects, has been an absolute honour. It is quite humbling to be part of a long line of people who have looked after the ship. At times on board, it is easy to imagine these past generations of shipwrights, sailors and custodians hard at work. The ghosts of the past are easily imagined, particularly when our rigging team are aloft, scrambling through the rigging and blacking down with pungent Stockholm tar. The fact that a ship like Cutty Sark can still evoke this sense of time and place is awe-inspiring. Tea first came to Britain in the middle of the 17th century. The Honourable East India Company awarded the monopoly on the supply of tea delivered their first shipment in 1669. But thanks in part to an extensive smuggling network, tea soon became a popular beverage for all. By the middle of the 18th century, it is estimated that working families were drinking tea twice daily. New fashions and trends abounded. Porcelain with its exotic delicacy and rituals, its expense and status symbolism, a new daily routine of high tea with a sandwich and a gossip, tea gardens, tea shops and tea dances, the temperance movement's promotion above alcohol. Little more than 100 years after the East India Company's first shipment, tea was embedded in the very fabric of British life. But it wasn't, of course, all plain sailing. China held the monopoly on the supply of tea and sought payment only in silver. With little interest in importing goods from the West, Britain needed to find a way of regaining this silver. So the company began to grow and sell Indian opium to merchants for smuggling into China. The opium was paid for in silver, which made its way back into the right pockets. Though the sale of opium was prohibited in China, the Chinese authorities struggled to enforce the ban, resulting in a huge addiction problem. In 1839, in a bid to control the situation, Chinese authorities seized and destroyed the year's tea crop. Affronted by this perceived violation of free trade, the British government acted swiftly and decisively. The end of the First Opium War ceded Hong Kong to Britain and opened a number of Chinese ports to unrestricted trade. The Second Opium War, following a spurious accusation of piracy, resulted in a devastating defeat for the Chinese. Compensation was demanded and more ports were forced to open, including Hankow, the capital of China Tea, among them. Katisak did not carry opium, nor did it have any role in either Opium War, for the ship wasn't even built. Yet there is no doubt that Cutty Sark and ships like it benefited from China's defeat. My two-year-old daughter has a ghastly electronic teapot which plays tunes and speaks. 
One of its tunes is Rule Britannia, a link between tea and imperial expansion summed up for toddlers. In China, the Opium Wars retain an important place in the school curriculum. I've been told that for a certain generation of Chinese tourists, they will not visit Katisak because of its associations. It would seem that even on an international level, for good or for bad, Katisak really is the representative of Britain's global expansion and thirst for tea. The third aspect which helped to form this reputation was Katisak's tendency to achieve fortune from failure. In 1872, two years after its maiden voyage, the ship had its first chance to really prove its mettle. It was the first and only time it would leave a Chinese port at the same time as its original rival, Thermopylae, pitting them in a nail-biting head-to-head. The ships kept pace until they reached the Indian Ocean where Katisak pulled away, gaining 400 miles on its competitor by the time it neared the coast of South Africa. But then disaster struck. The ship hit a heavy storm which ripped the rudder from its stern. Under the direction of carpenter Henry Henderson, the crew somehow managed to build a temporary rudder from a makeshift ford on the main deck. But as the ship rocked and rolled, the forge overturned, burning and permanently scarring the captain's son, who was serving as an apprentice. After five days at sea, somehow the crew managed to lower and secure the rudder in still heavy seas, some four and a half metres below water, and the voyage could... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Continue. By now, Thermopylae had built up a lead which couldn't be overturned. It reached London first, but still only nine days before Katisark. Thermopylae won the race, and yet Katisark achieved the recognition. The feats of seamanship garnered much praise, even becoming the standard technique recommended by the Board of Trade for the construction of temporary rudders. Even in defeat, Katisark was winning hearts and minds. I am Hannah Stockton, one of Katisark's curators since 2018, and I also work on a number of research projects exploring the ship's crew and John Willis's fleet. At Katisark's launch in 1869, there was little attention paid, just a small note in the local newspaper, the Dumbarton Herald, and perhaps some local residents came to watch, but Katisark was just one ship in the vast British mercantile fleet, not even her owner's favourite vessel. However, the first inklings of the ship's future status as an icon appeared soon after. 
having been built right at a moment of transition away from sailing ships, particularly in the higher value trades like tea. At the time, Cutisark represented the peak of sailing technology, soon gaining a reputation amongst observers and sailors alike as one of the fastest ships in the trade at a moment when speed was of the essence. An agent in Sydney where the ship traded as a wool clipper said, quote, Cutty Sark was absolutely the fastest ship I ever had to do with in my 35 or 40 years experience. Regularly reaching, according to various captains, peak speeds of 17 knots. While her fame was at that time mostly confined to sailors and those living and working around ports, this notoriety was at the start of her journey to become the iconic vessel of today. Cartisark's fame in maritime circles is what ultimately ensured her survival far past the 30 years which might have been expected. By the 1920s, successive decades of little investment found Cartisark, or Ferreira as she was then, a shadow of her former self, in Falmouth awaiting repairs. An apprentice who, in the 1890s, had been awed by Cartisark as his ship was overtaken, was now a retired merchant captain in Cornwall. His memories of the ship prompted he and his wife Catherine to spend a sizeable sum of money retrieving Curtis Ark from Portugal and restoring much of her original appearance. Contemporary press reported how the ship had been, quote, saved for the nation, marking the beginning of Curtis Ark's transition from a working vessel to a national icon of the fast disappearing and increasingly romanticised age of sail, which held a place in the hearts and minds not only of sailors, but of the collective imagination of the nation as a whole. This iconic status was finally cemented in the 1950s, when the threat of destruction caused a reassessment of what the ship's survival meant to Britain. Her inclusion in the similarly iconic 1951 Festival of Britain, designed to celebrate the past, present and future of British achievement in industry, science, arts and design, marked Curtis Ark's importance as one of the surviving symbols of British maritime technology, and the consequent commercial successes of the 19th century. This was only enhanced when the ship's permanent berth at Greenwich was created, and a memorial to the sailors of the Age of Sail and the Merchant Navy of the First and Second World Wars was incorporated. For me, Curtis Ark is iconic because her survival is remarkable. Merchant ships are perhaps even less likely to survive than military ones, as they're generally disposed of as soon as they stop turning a profit. Curtis Sark's rare survival grants her status as an icon of an imagined romantic age of sail, of the peak of clipper ship design and technology, of both the exploitation and wealth of the British Empire, of the vital importance of merchant shipping to Britain both then and now. In 1895, John Whitehat Willis sold Curtis Sark to a Portuguese firm, much to the angry disappointment of Captain Woodship. But Willis was no sentimentalist. He was ageing, had no one to pass his firm on to, and Cutty Sark had served its purpose, and so he was gradually selling off his fleet. Renamed Ferreira, the ship became a general cargo carrier traversing the Atlantic between Portugal, the west coast of Africa, and North and South America. It would do this for a total of 27 years, longer than its time as a British ship. In 1906, the ship survived a devastating hurricane in which 134 people lost their lives. In 1916, the ship was dismasted, very nearly lost and had to be towed into Table Bay. Battered, bruised and much changed, it would have to languish in South Africa for two years where a scarcity of supplies due to the First World War meant it couldn't be repaired. 
and yet it is said to have become a tourist attraction, curious sailors keen to catch a glimpse of the once famous ship. As I said at the beginning, there were three main occasions when Katisark was rescued from adversity. In 1922, the ship was over 50 years old, but was still serving as Ferreira. After departing London, it was damaged in a storm and had to call in at Falmouth for repairs. Here, the ship experienced the most astonishing good luck. Repairs were expensive and there was probably not much working life left in the ship. Thermopylae, for example, had been sold to the Portuguese, but regarded as beyond purpose, it was used as target practice for the Portuguese Navy and scuttled in 1907. So, when the retired sea captain Wilfred Dalman, a resident of Falmouth, spotted Ferreira, the ship's fortune was changed forever. In 1895, Dalman had been a 16-year-old apprentice who watched as Cutty Sark surged past his ship. Its fine lines and graceful drive through the sea left a lasting impression on the young man. 27 years later, Ferreira was a shadow of its former self, yet Dalman's memory had not dimmed. He knew it was a special vessel. Together with his wife Catherine, the pair committed philanthropists who paid well over the odds to bring the ship back to Britain, restore it and rename it Cutty Sark once more. Two years later, it reopened as a cadet training ship and visitor attraction. Following Dalman's premature death, the ship was given to the Incorporated Thames Nautical College to serve alongside HMS Worcester as a cadet training ship in Greenhive. With the outbreak of the Second World War, the cadets were evacuated and Cutty Sark suffered from a terrible lack of maintenance. By the end of the war, sail training was no longer deemed necessary and the college's priorities lay elsewhere. The post-war period was a precarious time for Cutty Sark, with no home and no future. But befitting of the ship's story, it was thanks to a passionate individual and a stroke of good luck that it is here today. HMS Implacable had fought at the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, but by the late 1940s, like Cutty Sark, it was in very poor condition. Recognising the ship's significance, a place in Greenwich was offered to it, but its restoration costs were soon deemed to be too expensive in an age of austerity. Instead, the ship was scuttled close to the Isle of Wight. Understandably, this caused an outcry which Frank Carr, then director of National Maritime Museum, was able to utilise to save Cutty Sark. He persuaded the London County Council to give the Greenwich site to Cutty Sark. He engaged the support of His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh and together they formed a society which raised public funds to restore the ship and create a new dry dock for it. In 1954, the ship was floated into its new dock and final resting place. Three years later, after an extensive restoration, the ship was opened to the public by Her Majesty the Queen, an event which was shown on live television, narrated by Richard Dimbleby. The Cuttysark Preservation Society were keen to preserve the last of the tea clippers, but also to create a memorial to the merchant service, and in particular, the 44,000 who had died in both world wars. And so it was that Cuttysark adopted yet another identity and purpose. It had been a tea clipper a wall clipper, a general cargo carrier, a training ship and visitor attraction, and now it was also a memorial and symbol for the merchant service itself. In 2007, a devastating fire broke out in the lower hold of Cutty Sark. The fire raged through all three decks and attracted international concern. The images remained vivid in people's imaginations. But once again, a spot of good fortune and support ensured its survival. The year before the fire, an extensive restoration programme had begun. A main aim of the programme was to preserve the ship's original fabric for the future. It is estimated that 90% of the ship's hull structure is original to 1869. For a ship of its age, with such differing purposes over the year, this is pretty astonishing. To preserve this material, the ship was almost entirely stripped of this fabric to be treated elsewhere. 
so when the fire struck, it was nowhere near as bad as it could have been. Less than 5% of original fabric is estimated to have been lost. Yet it was a disaster for the project overall. The site was now hazardous as the fire had released lead into the atmosphere and was also a crime scene. The subsequent police investigation concluded that the fire had probably been begun by a dust extractor that had been left on and had overheated. The scale of the project had now grown significantly. Generous donations from individuals, organisations, the Heritage Lottery Fund and the local council allowed the project to continue and be completed. In April 2012, Her Majesty the Queen returned to open the ship once again. More than 600 men from 30 different nations served on Katisark during its years as a British ship. It has visited nearly every major port in the world. It was built to last for just 30 years and yet now it is 151 years of age. There have been thousands of paintings, drawings and artistic impressions of Katisark. Innumerable family photographs feature the ship's wheel or bow and perhaps a bad haircut or two. Pubs and restaurants as far as Cape Town and Ljubljana in Slovenia feature its name. Is it possible to buy some clipper tea without thinking about Katisark? A world-famous whisky is named after it. And could there be a more modelled ship than it? Seemingly every visitor has a relative who has attempted their own masterpiece. It has even been mentioned in an episode of The Simpsons. It took its name from the Robert Burns poem Tam O'Shanter, in which the beautiful witch nanny is wearing a short nightdress or cutty sark in Old Scots. In it, Tam exclaims, Well done, cutty sark. After 151 years, and as the last one left, well done indeed. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, do please do something for me. I need you to help spread the word. Please tag us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and use good old word of mouth. Everything and anything you can do to pass on what we are doing here would be hugely appreciated. And remember, this is not just about audio. We've begun to produce some stunning and innovative videos, as well as standard documentaries, and are publishing them on our Facebook page and on the Mariner's Mirror pod youtube channel thank you all so much as always for your fascinating contributions to the free forum on the society for nautical research's website that continues to grow at a brilliant rate into a fascinating miscellany of all things maritime in the past and you can see all of that at the society for nautical research's website snr.org.uk and please please do join the Society. Your annual subscription will go towards publishing the most important maritime history and towards preserving our maritime past.